Podcast. The Gospel According to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. I do welcome you back to your seats. We are going to get started now and dive into Matthew chapter 7. We're making progress here with the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaching there on a mountaintop there in Galilee. He's got uh, the crowds all around him and he's giving us such crucial information. Uh, things and teachings that will really forever change our lives. Let's go to him in prayer. Father God, now for this teaching, God, that we're all, we all struggle with, God, to not do the very thing you're asking us. And we pray that you would bless us with eyes that can see and a heart that can understand And that we would not just be hearers of the word. God, help us to put your word into practice so that we could be changed and blessed and reap the benefits and the blessing, the joy and the peace that obedience brings. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. There's a handful of Bible verses which are very famous and well-known for being misunderstood and misapplied. And topping... That list uh, this morning is our text for consideration. And so it begins with these words, judge not lest you be judged. And so the unchurched world out there certainly doesn't get what that means. And I'm not sure that Christians fully understand either. So hopefully by the end of the message, we'll have some clarity on what the Lord was meaning Now, not only do some out there misunderstanding and misapply judge not, lest you be judged, it sort of gets weaponized (laughs) to shield them against moral scrutiny of any kind, accountability from getting called out uh, with any bad behavior. You know, you may be saying, well, you know, it's a sin to lie. Or you could say, you know, you really kind of did a bad thing there. Or you know, it's wrong to, and then out of their mouth comes, don't judge me, right? Don't judge me. And all the while quoting our Lord Jesus, shielding them from so-called accountability, uh, morally speaking. And so, well, of course, Jesus is not suggesting to his followers that we suspend moral judgments of any kind. In fact, he does, does tell us to do just the opposite. The entire crux of the New Testament is about discerning what's right and wrong, good from bad, 
sin and evil, and then making that judgment so that we ourselves can walk in pleasing ways to God. And so he couldn't possibly mean suspend judgment. You know, what Jesus is warning his disciples against in very strong language is a different kind of judgment altogether that's not helpful, but in fact, it's really harmful. And not only to the person being judged in this improper way, but for us as well, for us as well. And so it's rude, it is sinful, it's obnoxious, it's destructive, it makes us look ridiculous, and we do it all the time. Let's take a closer look at what I'm talking about here in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it's going to be measured right back to you. So why do you look at the little speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the two-by-four in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, oh, let me help you with this little speck when all the time there's a log hanging out of your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly and remove the speck from your brother's eyes. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now, verse 6 is often misunderstood as well. And what in the world does it uh, mean in relationship and context to the preceding verses? Well, uh, it's meant to bring some balance. And you'll understand what he's talking about when you hear the context of the passage taught. And so we look forward to that this morning. And this before you is our text for consideration. Now, the, the context is important. What's exactly the last thing Jesus was teaching? The very last thing was our relationship to God, our priorities, our obligations, our responsibility to God. The very last thing he said, because this is part of a bigger sermon, the very last things Jesus said was, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the stuff you're worried about, it'll all take care of itself and fall into place. And so he was saying, don't make money your God, make God your master, right? And so he's been talking about relationship with God. Make your treasure all about heavenly things and live for God. Now, of course, it doesn't surprise me that now he goes to our obligation with one another because wherever you have obligation to God and serving God, you have two uh, inextricable components. You have service and worship to God with obligation to God. And on, in the same coin, on the other side, you have your obligation responsibilities horizontally. So it's kind of nice to think it's vertical 
and it's horizontal, and where they meet together, it's the cross. It brings us together, and that's what it's all about, worshiping God, loving people. You cannot separate them, so it's no surprise that he's been talking about your obligation to God, and, and, and so much so that when he's asked, what's the greatest command? He answers with two parts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others with the same kind of love you have for yourself. And again in the Decalogue, which is the Ten Commandments, the first half, our obligation to God. The second half, your obligation to one another, to your fellow man. And so if you think the second half is, as most Christians do, uh, less significant, Jesus will say, oh no. Uh, in fact, if you're a church and you remember that you've offended somebody legitimately, uh, then, then put your, your, your offering away and put your hands at your side and at break time, walk out the door, get in your car and do your thing to get right with the person you've offended. Then come back to church, you see. And so Christians love to uh, just think it's all about the vertical, you know, and I can do and say whatever I please to people. And he says, serving me involves loving God and loving others, and never the twins shall be ripped apart. Let what, jo- what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so here it is, right on the heels of your obligation to God. And, and, and he says, hear now a warning to keep from offending, to minimize obnoxious behavior that alienates us from people and then in turn interrupts our fellowship with God. So Jesus, out of his love, is going to show us, you know, this is part of serving God is how you treat other people. Our daily interactions are important. So this is life-changing. If somebody's going to get this, and it's going to change your entire life. It's going to go from a, a lot of trouble to a lot of blessing because you, you just started making some changes based on the truth found here this morning. Here's what Jesus is asking, then we'll dive in. He's saying, how would you like God and others to treat you, graciously or sternly? Do you want God and others to cut you slack or to hold your feet to the fire? Well, the choice is up to you because what goes around comes around. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. So if you have ears, as Jesus would say, if you have ears, now would be a good time to put them on and hear the word of the Lord and not just to hear it and to know it and to preach it, but to live it so that we are not deceiving ourselves, but being blessed. There are four M's here. We go through them rather quickly. The mandate, of course, is verse one. The command, don't judge. And then he gives us some motivation, your second M, right? At verse 1b, really, and verse 2. The reason it would be good <laughs> for me and, t- and you to avoid doing what Jesus is asking. And then the method, number three, a funny picture of the hypocrisy and really how to go from a self-righteous, critical hypocrite to a gracious, helpful Christian friend. 
That will be the method if you're taking notes. And then finally, this curious little verse six proverb there, I call it a maxim, which is like a proverb about pigs and pearls. And, and really, the purpose there is to bring balance in our judgment, okay? And so we'll talk about that when we get there. But judgment is so necessary, right? The right kind. And so he's called us to shine our light. And as we shine light and bring the gospel, that's exactly what's happening is a lot of judgment calls, a lot of assessing right and wrong and all of that. But there is no light. You are not shining the light when you judge the way Jesus is forbidding us from judging. And it, it, rather, you're living in darkness and doing more harm than any good. So let's dive in to verse one. It's pretty simple. Do not judge. And so the mandate is before us. So let's be clear on what Jesus is not saying. Great quote, one of my commentaries. His name's Turner. Jesus is not now forbidding what he clearly commands us to do and exemplifies in his own life. That is to judge, but Jesus will call it to make a right judgment, and certainly this is not the right way to go about moral assessment. Now, Jesus is not asking his followers to uh, suspend moral judgment, to do away with right and wrong, to let live and let live, that as if Jesus is promoting universal acceptance of any lifestyle and teaching. No, that's what the world hopes he means, uh, but it is not. And it is really just the opposite of the gospel there. Uh, you know, let me just say James 5.19 says, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways saves their soul from death and covers a multitude of sins. How on earth would I ever turn a sinner from the error of their way if I don't make some assessment morally, if I don't have a judgment, if I do not make a, a sound judgment? And there's a way to do that that's right and proper with humility and love and gentleness and all of that. We'll get to that for sure. And so God demands believers to make right judgments every day. He commands us to correct and rebuke and to exhort with humility and gentleness and to judge between good and evil, not just for the people who we love, that we can make a judgment and say, hey, watch out, this is wrong, this is right. How else would we raise our children if we didn't make judgments? Sound, righteous judgments, the kind that God tells us to do. And so, you know, to choose the right means to judge what's wrong. I can't choose the right if I don't judge the error. And so this is clearing it up for us. If you need examples, I doubt you do because you kind of get it. Uh, but even verse 6, if he says, you know, uh, not to cast sacred things before swine. Well, I gotta make a judgment there, don't I? Just there's so many of those scriptures that, that are there. Yeah, he says, Paul tells um, the Romans, mark those who cause division in the church. Mark them and avoid them. Okay, 
you're calling me to make a judgment with the facts, with humility, with grace, with a redemptive purpose, that there has to be a sound biblical way to go about judging. And so that just happens all the time. If he says bad company corrupts good morals, then he wants me and you to make a judgment about your friends, which ones are, are going to edify you and which ones are going to drag you down. You're going to have to make a judgment. Okay, so he does tell us you'll need to make a right judgment. What Jesus is talking about is the wrong judgment. Let me give you an example of it in all of its glory so that we can use that as kind of a starting point of what it means to judge in the way Jesus forbids. I had a friend who was undergoing cancer treatment. It was very serious. And he was undergoing chemo and it affected his lungs, which it often does. It made him have shortness of breath, difficult breathing. He was out of breath just to walk just a few feet. He was just uh, laboring, um, dizzy and all of that. And so he got a handicapped placard for his car, which was a big blessing to him, especially at his apartment, had a lot of steps. And so he got to avoid all of that. And we were driving one day, we went to In-N-Out, and we parked in the handicapped parking. We got out of the car, we walked past a few tables, and a big dude rolls his eyes and says quite loudly, ha, don't look handicapped to me. But he doesn't look handicapped at all from the outside. You would never know. The only problem is he looks great on the outside, but he's dying of cancer on the inside. So this dude is judge and jury. <laughs> he's taken the gavel without the facts, a rush to judgment, finding fault, liking to do that kind of thing, to criticize other people without knowing and can't possibly know the inside, which is part of the reason we're forbidden of doing it, because we do not know what's going on in a person's heart and life. And one of the reasons I chose to tell that story is because it really serves another purpose uh, for us because when we judge people and roll our eyes and say, you know, this is the way they are and this is what they meant and all of that, you know, we don't know. We don't know what kind of family they had. We don't know the pain and the burden that, that, that causes such brokenness. We can't understand what motivated them to say that remark or do that dumb thing. And so because of that, we are incapable of, of, of what it is, snap judgments. Judgments without all the facts. And in fact, the Greek word really means a word that we don't really use much, and it's called censorious. It means to be hypercritical, to have a critical spirit. Somebody who just loves to walk around with a clipboard feeling like their gift is the Holy Spirit to uh, correct everybody else and put everybody right, except, of course, themselves. And so they're really, really good at this. And so, yeah, uh, we don't understand what's truly going on. We don't have the facts. Or you'll hear a story, and this is my favorite part as a pastor. I'll hear the story, and I'll be like, whoa, 
Oh, I can't believe that person. Whoa, you know? And I'm already judging. I'm, I'm the gavel's down because I heard the part of the story from the person who wants me to hear a negative thing, right? And so when I take time and suspend judgment until I get the whole facts and hear from the other party, oh my word, almost every time the other party comes around and I'll say, well, they said this happened. And then, well, no, actually, A, B, and C. And I'm like, oh, they left the part out. <laughs> oh, they left that part out. Why? Because I wouldn't side with them. If they included that, I would have to say, well, you're, you have a part to play in all of this. And so that's the idea of what not to do, to be kind of a fault finder, a critical spirit who, because of your own insecurity and my insecurity, we like to pick people apart to make us feel better. <laughs> Boy, if you've got all of those problems, look at me. I mean, I am doing good today because I'm not you. And we peck and we pick and we poke and all of this, you know, it just reminded me of this chicken I saw once. <laughs> I mean, that is what happens in marriages with a critical spouse with a fault finding, you know what? This is a pastor friend of mine <laughs> or a worship leader or an usher, somebody who's out front because once somebody's out front, even in a marriage, everybody just thinks that they can just take their little shot and be judge and jury. And here's what the word means to assume the worst, to not give the benefit of the doubt, and to condemn, to just say, nah, two thumbs down, and then pick and pick and pick. And then Jesus is going to say, if you don't like how that chicken looks, then you better stop doing the picking and the pecking because you are going to resemble that chicken soon enough. And so we can go back to the words. I'm sort of getting ahead of myself here a little bit. I think you get the picture. <laughs> One writer said, oh, to help you avoid being a critical person, a critical person is everything opposite God wants a Christian to be. And not only that, with one character flaw, just one, to be a critical person, you are um, forfeiting or prohibiting a dozen beautiful virtues because they cannot rise from a heart that doesn't have a lot of grace, doesn't have a lot of compassion, doesn't understand its own need for grace and mercy. So uh, uh, you, because you or me are critical, then the beautiful works of grace and mercy and patience and sympathy and all the ways God wants us to be snuffed out by one character flaw. That is that narrow, strict, fault-finding, graceless, stingy with the mercy, vice. And that's exactly what it is. So that's the mandate. Don't do that, Jesus says. And let's give you some motivation, he says, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, it's going to come back 
to you. And so the verses are there. We're already in some motivation. <laughs> and Jesus wants us to be motivated to stop doing something that's so terrible uh, and so hurtful to people and so in, uh, and, and also will end up being hurtful to ourselves. And so Jesus is saying, there's a spiritual law I want to tell you about. He says, you know, when there are physical laws, every single time I do this, it will never go up. It will always, every single time, it will go down. Every single time, there's physical laws and spiritual laws. And he says, what goes around will come around. He calls it sowing and reaping. And he says, when you're nice to people, they tend to be nice to you. Or when you're mean to people, when you're a jerk, it, it, it invites other people to treat you in nasty ways. So if you want people to treat you with mercy, you need to be cutting them a little slack as well because you, when you're not, it's a boomerang, man. When you let people have it and you write them up on your clipboard for failing you know, to be whatever you think they should be or say what you needed them to say, you have released a big, sharp, wooden, heavy boomerang. And do you hear the sound? It's getting closer and closer for a reason. <laughs> Because it's going to knock you upside of your head. Because Jesus says, when you're a fault finder, when you like to peck, it just makes people want to treat you that way. Now, if somebody is kind and merciful, you're late, they don't make a big deal about it. You're late a lot, they don't make a big deal about it. You know, you're unorganized. They get into your car, it's a mess. They just, they're just gracious people. When you come upon them in a compromised situation, uh, you know, common sense here, you are able to slide them some grace. Why would you hold their feet to the fire when they're always cutting you slack? Of course, Jesus says, this is just a, a, a rule of the road for human beings. He's saying, let me help you out with your daily social strains and stresses. Don't give reason for other people to want to snarl and be stingy and, and not generous to you by being generous to them. That's exactly what he's talking about. So uh, when someone is harsh and strict with you, it's human nature to be harsh and strict uh, with them. And so, you know, I like what Andy Rooney said once. He said, always Keep your words soft and sweet just in case you'll have to eat them. <laughs> oh, isn't that smart? You know, you just want to treat, and he's going to say this in the sermon, I want you to treat other people the way you want to be treated. That's just something to stop and think about. Do you like it when somebody's all over every little petty thing? Doesn't that drive you crazy? That's the kind of person you say, don't be judgmental like that. Pick, pick, pick. Don't be nitpicking like that. So grace engenders grace. Love prompts love. Compliments inspire compliments. Uh, mercy extended means mercy received. A critical spirit invites criticism in response. Now, the measure you use, what does he mean by that? 
He's saying, okay, you, are you one of those people who I have high standards and I have high standards for myself too, you know? And so you set that bar way up high, perfectionism, you know, that's kind of a flaw of mine, whatever, all right? Nobody's gonna jump the bar and you're gonna feel better about yourself because every loser out there is falling short of your high, high, high standards, right? Jesus says, oh, I hope that you're on task all the time, because when you're like that, people are gunning for you. They can't wait for you to fall beneath your own high standards because you've set it up for yourself. He's saying, you know, if you don't like to give grace, people are waiting for when you're gonna need it and they're gonna withhold it. That's what it is. If you're the kind of person that says no slip-ups, no lapses, uh, no excuses, right? He says, just know people are watching and waiting. The boomerang has been released and it's going to come back calling and you get thumped for sure so that you will get a taste of your own nasty medicine. All of this stuff about excellence and this and that and the other. I'm sorry. People don't always live up to it. And neither do you. And that's the problem. And that's why there's a blindness about this. Because we like to give a hard time to people who are failing in the same areas that we ourselves struggle with. And so he's going to get to that for sure. So the measure you give out, uh, you give out a thimble full of grace, guess what? You're getting back a thimble. You know, well, I was gracious. Okay, well, here, here it comes. Don't use it or don't, don't spend it all in one day. You know, a barrel full of mercy will get you a barrel full of mercy. How about two barrels of mercy? How many of you want five barrels of mercy? Then put away the thimbles. <laughs> Put away the thimbles. A pinch of patience is going to get you. Well, I hope if you're given a pinch of patience, I hope you're not going to need any anytime soon because all you're going to get is a pinch back. That's the law. There's no breaking it. Jesus says, I will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. What you sow, you reap, and it's just a spiritual law. You know, this is what we have to be aware of. And so David Guzik is the one who said, this is a powerful motivation for us to be generous with love, forgiveness, and goodness to others. If we want more of those things from God, we should give more of those things to others. <laughs> this is what Jesus is saying. And so, and, you know, but wait, there's more. I mean, it's one thing to be judged by humans because I've been judgmental and then human beings tend to be judgmental with me. Got it, don't want that to happen. But there's something worse. And all the commentators say, you do know Jesus means God will judge you as well. Now, God doesn't condemn Christians, of course, but he chastises. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12 says, what father wouldn't discipline his erring child. And you guys err, and so you endure chastisement. So, so the Lord is saying, when you are a nasty, mean-spirited, fault-finding kind of person, 
God will chastise you by putting you in a place where you can learn to love grace and to love mercy. He will help you to, to unravel in chastisement and in judgment, in love, so that you will stop doing this terrible behavior and become a better person, a more helpful person. So when we are critical and not giving out forgiveness and mercy and holding grudges and being tightwads with grace, God's judgment, his spank, the paddle he will bring you is to put you in a place where you yourself need the mercy and the grace, where you yourself can be humbled and say, oh, I got to lower that bar down a few notches, right? And start to care about people and not, not look down at people because they're broken and they don't have it together like you do. Instead of looking down on them, you get down on their level and help them. That's the Christian spirit. Amen. That's what he's asking us to do. All right, I think you got that part. Now let's move on. We've been motivated not to do it. And now he says, I want to show you the method of changing in case you find yourself this morning uh, feeling, oh man, I am a critical, uh, I have a critical spirit. I want to I wanna change. He says, well, first of all, look how ridiculous you look when you are a fault finder who's good at everybody else's faults, but you don't look at your own. He says, that's kind of hypocritical. So why do you look at the little speck in your brother's eye? You pay no attention to the big log in your own. How are you going to be useful to anybody? Oh, let me help you with this small problem you're having when you've got a huge problem of your own and everybody can see it except you. You hypocrite. You pretender. Take the log out of your face and then you'll be able to see what your brother's tiny little problem is. Uh, he's saying that, yes, people have specs, but if you're the kind of fault finder that Jesus is talking about, what God sees in you, your sin, what God sees is way greater than what you see in the little uh, flaw in your neighbor. And that's kind of the idea here, so we're on the method of changing from a hypocritical fault finder to a helpful friend. So Jesus is saying that fault finders are myopic in their vision and they're ridiculous because they're self-righteous, you know. I have a Peanuts little ad that just kind of, I mean, comic strip here. Why are you always so anxious to criticize me, Linus, to Lucy, Lucy? I just think I have a knack for seeing other people's faults. <laughs> and then Linus says, what about your own, Lucy? And she says, well, I have a knack for overlooking them. <laughs> you can leave that up there just for a second. <laughs> That's the way it is with fault finders. So, here Jesus wants to really um, get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is an unexamined life. The inability to see our own brokenness, our own moral depravity, 
to say with Paul, wretched man that I am, every cell in my body wants to rebel. Where would I be without the grace of God? A person who doesn't see how horrible and self-righteous and proud and arrogant that they can be at times. If you don't see that about yourself, that gives rise to self-righteousness and pride and starts to give you the prompting to, to look better and feel better than everybody else by finding everybody else's faults that way. So it's an unexamined life that makes us blind that way. So he accuses them there. He says, uh, he accuses them of being willfully blind with that log, but he says, you pay no attention to the log in your own eye. How is it that you're focused in on someone else's fault while so blind to your own, which happens to be a lot bigger and worse in the, in the, at the moment? And that's what he's saying. You know what? This happened all the time with the Pharisees, didn't it? John chapter 8. They dra- dragged this poor woman who they set up to be caught in adultery to trap Jesus. And right, so he says, you know, he who is, is without sin, let him cast the first stone because they wanted to condemn her according to the law of Moses. And so Jesus is saying, look in your own hearts because there's a huge log coming out of your moral mouths and heads. Here are guys who want to kill the son of God. And they're pointing their fingers at this terrible woman who has committed adultery. And so he's like, whoa, watch out where you turn because you're going to wipe people out when you sway with that log hanging out of your head. Oh, look at her. She's such a terrible, terrible, sexually immoral person. And that Pharisee is so filled with sins that he's about to conspire to execute the Son of God. And that's the tendency of the fault finder who doesn't pay attention to their own log. Jesus says you can't be helpful because you're blind to your own sins. Pride and arrogance and patience and hypocrisy is the result. And how are you going to be helpful to somebody sawdust in their eye? Now that's pretty intricate, delicate, vulnerable place. Well, how can we have somebody who's got a log hanging out of their head to be able to do such delicate work and how much more the human soul? So Jesus says, oh, we can't have that kind of person digging around in sensitive areas until you address your own huge problem. Get the log out. Then you could be helpful. Yes, they have specs. Yes, we have specs. And we all need each other's help. But we need to come from a place of humility, of there but the grace of God go I. Compassion, mercy, grace, love that covers a multitude of sins. That's what he's asking for. He says, listen, and he also calls uh, fault finders out for this. Oh, let me help you. It's always framed, critical people, always frame their criticism 
with the guise of being helpful. It's only that I care so much and I have such high standards and let me just tear you down, right? But I'm doing it in love because I want the best for you. He says, no, you're no good because you've got a log. Take care of the log. Work on judging yourself first and you'll be more useful to be helpful in other people's lives. He says, come at this first. Judge yourself. Turn all of the clipboard upon thyself. Oh, just you put mirrors all over the house. Put recordings of yourself all day long. Put something in your brain to to log every thought and feeling that you've had and then replay it all day long and judge thyself. Oh, you will come away a different person. Oh, you will be a joy to be around. You will be a friend. You will come alongside. And of course, it doesn't mean you won't tell us difficult things. You will. But from the standpoint of I could receive it coming from you because there's a tear in your eye. Not your nose up in the air. There's a tear because you care. Because you've gone through the same thing and you're not ashamed to say it. When I dealt with that, Oh, fault finders would never tell you that. They're just got it together. The critical spirit person. Oh, but when somebody comes to you in brokenness, I've been praying for you. And oh, let me tell you about the years I spent dealing with this thorn in the flesh, and there's humility and caring. Oh, you're welcome. That's where the psalmist says, Let a righteous man strike me on the head. It will be a blessing and a comfort, a soothing medicine to my soul, a correction well received. That's what the psalmist says. From somebody like that, who renders judgment the way it's supposed to be rendered, first as evaluated through your own weakness, and then with the grace and the mercy and the acceptance, that person needs to feel accepted, not judged and condemned and lesser or else we'll be hypocrites because we judge we're helping them with something that we ourselves are terrible at as well this happens all the time oh my word I got a great story in Connecticut in a nicer neighborhood in Connecticut uh, there was homeowners association and they got together and with a little money they made a donation and, and then they They petitioned, they signed a petition, 53 names, because they wanted people to slow down in their neighborhoods. They said, there are people, lead-footed people, unbelievable. You know, our kids are playing out there. They don't care, these people. They just come zipping through and all of that. So they whined enough, they petitioned enough, and they got a radar thing in the neighborhood. And from time to time, an officer would come out with a a radar uh, gun and uh, enforce. And one night, it really worked really well. He got five. He cited five for reckless and speeding and all kinds of things. All five were named on the petition. (laughs) All five of them had signed the petition for those nasty, lead-footed, careless people who just zip through our neighborhoods, terrible human beings that they are. And this is what he's saying. 
The log lives. The log lives in all of us. Oh, marriages takes it to a new light level and a wonderful height. Oh, I hear it getting quiet. <laughs> oh, yeah, brace yourselves. But the very thing one spouse is just taking the other to task, they are king and queen of that very thing. And our sins look worse on other people, right? So the more that you're prone to do something that you see in somebody else, the hotter you are and angrier you are and the more merciless you are on that spouse. Uh, you know, I had the opportunity, as I've had for 30 years, of doing somebody's counseling, and the husband says she never lets me talk. She interrupts me all the time. I can never, I'm surprised they can even get this out right here, right? The next hour, he did nothing but interrupt her and me the whole time to where I thought it was a joke. I thought he was going to say, ha, 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 you know, I know I'm interrupting, but I'm trying to give her a, no, no. That's how he is. And with his log firmly in place, he's taking her to task about never letting anybody get a word in edgewise. Oh, come on. Jesus says, are you kidding me? Had a woman who said, you know what my one thing is? is it's just a small little request. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Would you mind, to her husband, just saying thank you. You know, I cook a meal for you. I, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to love this. I know what he loves. I cook it. I set it up. And you know, it would just be nice to hear, thank you. And it was quiet. And then I said, I said, does your husband have a job? And she said, yeah. And I said, what does he do? It was a hard job. And I said, how long has he been doing that? Oh, 25 years. And I said, does he like doing it? And she said, oh, no, he doesn't like it. But he does it. And she says, yeah, he does it. And then I said, when is the last time, and tell me truthfully, if you ever have one time said, when he comes to the door, honey, I know you don't like your job, but you go out every day for 25 years. You work so hard for me and the kids. You put us first. You're out there putting up with that foreman, putting up with that. And you come home, I just want to say, thank you. Have you ever done that? Dead quiet, she says, no, I haven't. That's because there's a lock in the room. And it's an equal opportunity. Logger. <laughs> I don't think that works. So, when we look to the cross and see our need, and ask yourself, oh spouse, what's it like being married to me? Ask yourself that. What's it like being married to me? You, not me. <laughs> ask thyself, <laughs> what's it like being married to a person like me? What? How do I contribute to the problems in the marriage? Now you're coming at life 
having judged yourself, and probably the first thing you're going to say is, thank you for the meal that you prepared because your mind was on the goodness of God, how he treated you better than you deserve, and what a blessing your wife is, you see? And you're not going to be defensive because you woke up already pleading the blood of Jesus over your wretched soul. You're going to be a different person. You're going to be uplifting. And because you're well aware of your own vulnerabilities, you're not going to pick other people apart. You're going to feel like, whoa, I get that. I know that. I'm coming alongside. I'm going to lift up, not pull down. Amen. That last verse is just a PS here. I'll explain it to you. Self-evaluation takes the log out, the cross of Christ, thankfulness for the grace and mercy shown us, then we can rise up. Let me show you this. Now, here's what he's saying in this maxim, in this last little PS. He's saying he's been, proper judgment commands to be lavishing the grace and mercy and now he says, I'm going to command you to show restraint in your judgment as well. So it's the other side. He's going to say, listen, it's good for you to be helping people with their specs, but there are some people who don't appreciate being helped with the spec. And you're going to have to make the judgment call of knowing who you're talking to and, and what they value and what they don't value. So there are people out there, they've heard it, they know it, You've shared it, but they do not value the pearls of the gospel, the name of the Son of God, the precious blood that Jesus spilt is mockery, is blasphemous, there's hostility. So have the sense to make a judgment to restrain yourself and give them over to the grace of God and let God deal with these people. Now, a feral dog and a swine would be unclean, but happy to be so. They're down with the fleas. They're good with the mud. They, the smell doesn't bother them. And the idea of a bath is repugnant to them. And some people prefer sins to the Savior. All right? So he says, you have to have the judgment to know this, or else they will abuse the good name of our Lord. They will abuse the sacredness of the word of God. You're throwing out the word of God and then they're trampling on it in the mud. Now surely this is a last resort because we go to the end. Every gospel must hear the word of the Lord and be saved. Lives are on the line and we don't give up with a little tiny pushback. But he's talking about, I don't know if you know, feral dogs can be ferocious and wild hogs, they'll take your leg off, right? So when he's saying, have the judgment to be able to know that you've shared enough. To share more is to uh, abuse the gospel and put yourself in harm's way. They're going to turn it around on you and it'll be harm's way for you and unnecessarily so. Don't do that. Now, there was a guy at, uh, guy at um, UCSF on the cancer ward with me, dying of cancer right next to me. And his was terminal. But it was being 
palliatively treated just to make him comfortable. And he's in the bed next to me. And so I start sharing the gospel. I did it a couple times. And then he got red in the face and he said, I have lived my whole life without God. And I will not come to him now and go on my knees and let him win. And it veins bulging out. I was like, see, have the judgment to, to stop. Don't make matters worse. Respect that line and pull back and give it over to God. And guess what? I, I mean, guess what God can do with feral dogs and swine? Uh, there was no one more vicious or more mangy than Saul, the Pharisee. And there wasn't a lot of people saying, oh, brother, may I take the speck out of your eye? There wasn't a lot of that going on because he'd, he'd lock you up or kill you. But God can get through to feral dogs and swine. And we give everybody we deal with over to God and we wish them well and we pray for them and we will love them and given the opportunity because God took that vicious, rabid Saul and turned him into the best Christian that ever lived. The most helpful, the most gifted evangelist. He wrote 13 New Testament books. But he was a major, amazing critter. And Mary Magdalene, happy to be defiled. Oh, nobody was saying, oh, honey, let me help you with the spec. No, none of that. But God could take somebody like a Mary Magdalene and transform her to be the first witness of the resurrection beyond the disciples, beyond the men. Who is the hero on Sunday morning as far as disciples go? It's not the guys hiding out for fear of the Jews. It's a woman who was at the crack of dawn there to anoint the body of her Lord and had a personal revelation of the risen Christ, the first one. And God in a body tells Mary, you go tell the brothers that I've risen. Mary Magdalene, once, you know, wallowing, now a Bible hero. So I like to think on those things. When human effort reaches the end, there's a God that loves and so loved the world, and he never gives up to the dying breath. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for your great love. We look to you this morning, confess to you, God, our sins of being so critical and nasty and hypocritical in every way possible, God. Yes, we have our good moments, Lord, but it's thanks to your good spirit that lives in us. We want more of those moments and less of us, God. Show us the cross. Show us our own logs, God, and show us how to be helpful to others and to show restraint, to be uplifting and kind and generous. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.